This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. Let's take a minute to think about rum. It's highly possible that when you hear the word, a variety of different ideas come into your head. You might think of pirates, you might think of pina coladas, you might think of plantations. But let's put a pause on that, because what Mark Farrell from 10 to 1 Rum wants to point out is that there is a lot more to rum than what marketers have told us. So to understand what he means and talk about why you should think about 10 to 1 for your home bar, I'm pleased to welcome Mark Farrell to the first of our podcasts for the new year. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Tiff. Pleasure to spend some time with you. You've spoken in the past about wanting to challenge expectations. Why do you think people rely on the old tropes around rum? Yeah, it's a great question, you know, and I think one that we've struggled with uh, for, for quite some time. I think largely it is due to the fact that they really haven't been offered anything else, right? I mean, sort of for lack of a different perspective or a different point of view. I think that over time, as tends to be the case in, in many categories, right, both within and outside of spirit, you find that the narrative around a specific category or specific product becomes increasingly narrow over time. And so we've often referenced sort of like this very reductive, narrow, somewhat caricatured view, not just of rum, I would argue, but more broadly rum culture and certainly Caribbean culture as an extension of that. Um, Obviously, for those who would be listening in for the first time, I should mention I am from the Caribbean. So born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, even though I've, I've lived in the U.S. now for the better part of the last 20 years. Really, for me, it's been this long and ongoing observation of this disparity between rum culture and Caribbean culture as I know them where I'm from versus the way that I've seen them often brought to life in markets further afield. And so, yes, from, from my perspective, I think it's, it's really sort of a lack of folks necessarily coming to the fore and shining a light on a, I think, a more authentic, more contemporary, more progressive view of rum and rum, rum culture, Caribbean culture as well. How do you get around that? How do you, what do you place in instead? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, one thing I've said, you know, from the earliest days of 10 to 1 is that it is very easy to say what a brand is not, but it, it, it's harder, and I think equally of, of, of actually probably greater importance to say what a brand is. So me declaring that 10 to 1 is trying to create this departure from pirates and plantations, right, to move away from the old caricatures and old tropes is certainly part of the story. But then I got to find a way to articulate for you as a consumer what exactly it is we intend to do. And that's where we talk about this idea of introducing a much more contemporary and authentic view of Caribbean culture. To me, the thing that folks perhaps don't have the opportunity to see when they dive in through the lens of rum is what, what, what a beautiful fabric, beautiful tapestry there is around Caribbean culture, whether it is like the music, the art, the fashion, the food, all of which, by the way, have, have, have worked their way into your hearts and your minds. You may not have realized it, but whether you are in the US, the UK, Australia, China, further afield, 
anybody who finds points of inspiration in those elements, right, really is a potential member of the community that we are trying to, to build and to create. And so, yes, for me, step one is kind of declaring, you know, where we're trying to move the category, what we're trying to move the category away from. But then I also want to make sure that we are continuing to carry water for this view of sort of a more progressive and more complete view of the culture through those different lenses as well. Right. Now, your brand 10 to 1, let's start by looking at the name. What mm-hmm. does 10 to 1 mean to you? Yeah, so the, the, the name is a great starting point for exactly what we just discussed, right? I tell people that the name 10 to 1 is, is inspired by the original Caribbean Federation, which consisted of 10 countries, right? So it's the idea of 10 countries becoming one. As Trinidad's prime minister at the time said, uh, his name was Dr. Eric Williams, he said, one from 10 equals zero. He was making the point that if you remove one from the collective, the whole thing falls apart. And so right. we like to say that 10, 10 to 1 is a brand that is really grounded in this idea of community, strength in numbers, this notion that we're all stronger together than we, that, than we are apart, right? And so, you know, for me, everything from the name through to our logo, our creative suite, you know, all the elements really kind of tie back to this notion of, again, more authentic sort of um, pillars of Caribbean storytelling and Caribbean culture. Now, does that mean that over time you will try to incorporate rum from all of the, of the 10 nations? That not, maybe not all 10 necessarily. So I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it to quite that, that literal of a place. But, but, I, but, but your question is a very well-placed one because for us, one of the core principles of the brand has been this idea of, we, we, we call it beauty in the blend right? Our rums themselves are blends. Uh, so, so, so our dark rum, for example, is a blend from four different countries, Trinidad, Barbados, Jamaica, and the Dominican Republic. Our white rum is a blend from two countries, Jamaica and the DR. So, so we do believe in this idea of telling a pan-Caribbean story and certainly doing that through the artistry and the craft of rum. Does that mean that sort of I'm ultimately going to create a rum that has all 10 of the countries? Not, not necessarily, but I think, I, think, I think the spirit of 10 to 1 still comes through in what it is where, where we're doing today, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, you've been operating for just shy of two years. How has the response to the rum been in that time? Yeah, you know, I mean, to, to date, the response has been the response has been outstanding. I think, you know, really, um, really encouraging. I always tell people that uh, as, as someone who is creating a consumer product, any sort of consumer brand, right, the joy comes from having a chance to put that in people's hands or in this case in people's glasses and kind of get that response, gauge that response in real time. You want to see somebody taste it and try it and, and, and mix it and share it for the very first time. And that's actually where I think a lot of my early joy, our early joy and satisfaction around the brand has come from. For me, it was very important when we launched to really invest a ton in building credibility with the trade. So certainly your bartenders, your beverage directors and so forth, who could really sort of understand 10 to 1's point of view uh, from a, from a, for, for, through a product-specific lens, right? Like, like the value yeah. of the blends, why we created them, how they could mix them and ultimately use them and make sure that we really created some amazing advocacy around that. And you're seeing that now manifested through the awards that 10 to 1 has, has won. You know, we recently just won the best, best rum of 2020 at the LA Spirits Awards and also the Asia International Spirits Competitions, Double Gold the Proof Awards, et cetera, et cetera. So starting with that level of sort of trade enthusiasm for the 
core product has been really important. And then seeing how consumers start to resonate with that, not just the quality of the liquid that's in their glass, but when you kind of get their heads nodding, when they hear the story of the brand, the ethos, the why, the reason for being, that to me kind of tells you, you you might have something pretty special on your hands. Right. Now, you've got quite a long history in FMCG, developing brands and developing products, particularly with Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Was creating an alcohol brand what you thought it was going to be? <laughs> in some ways, yes. In many ways, no. I think, you know, the reality of any, uh, any, any, any foray into, into the world of entrepreneurship, you know, it kind of shows an underbelly or shows a side of things that you, you could not have expected or anticipated. So, so I don't think that's particularly unusual. I would say that um, one of the biggest challenges when you sort of move into spirits versus even sort of your standard FMCG, consumer-driven, consumer retail, etc., is in spirits, you are farther, you're further away from your customer on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So, so at least in the U.S., because of the three-tier system, you know, supplier to distributor, distributor to retailer, retailer to end consumer, you know, if you walk into a bar in New York or in Chicago or in L.A., no, no one picks up, picks up the phone and calls me and says, hey, Mark, someone just walked in, tried the rum, they enjoyed it neat, then they put it in an old-fashioned and they said to give them a call at this number. So, how do you find ways to build bridges and build points of connection with that consumer when you're further removed than you otherwise might be? I think it's one of the core challenges, surprises, nuances, if you will, of spirits that is unique from, you know, my prior Starbucks experience or, or anything else. Now, with that said, I mean, there certainly are lessons that I've taken from those prior experiences and brought them to bear here, right? So, you know, I actually often cite, I think one of the things that I took from Starbucks was building real brand discipline. Howard Schultz, who is the CEO and chairman at, at Starbucks, who lucky to call a, a mentor and a friend of mine at this point, seeing the level of brand discipline that he brought to bear in that business was something that I always said I would kind of take and put in my own pocket and, and, and really file away for whenever I went to create something, which obviously has become 10 to 1. Um, and I think this yeah. idea of, I think, I think this idea of sort of building a brand with a unique sense of purpose, right? Through your own specific lens, you know, who you are and the things that you care about is another really important element that I took from those earlier experiences and brought to bear with, with 10 to 1 also. Okay. Going back to our earlier discussion about expectations and challenging those, there are a few rums on the market that trying to do pretty much what you're trying to do in that way what is it about 10 to 1 that should particularly attract people's attention? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Listen, let me, let me start by saying that as an up-and-comer in this space, you obviously want to be known for having a very differentiated, very unique offering. There's nothing about 10 to 1 that is presumptuous and assumes it's sort of like we are the only ones doing anything innovative in the category, right? So, so I'm certainly a cheerleader for anybody who wants to bring a fresher perspective and a more, up, uh, I think, I think a more optimistic and more progressive tone to the category. So, so I appreciate the question. Now, now in terms of what sort of differentiates us, I think it's really what I would call sort of like a like a unique mix of of of, of the craft and the contemporary. So, when I'm thinking about ten to one and, and what it takes to build a successful business in this space. I often will kind of conjure up this vis this visual metaphor of two hands the clap, right? So so imagine the left hand is the product and the right hand is the brand. So for me, you know, the product, right, having a very clear view of 
how and why we've created these blends. You know, we really sort of lean into this idea of bringing different distillation methods, different terra, different provenance to life through our blends. You really lean into this idea of the versatility of our spirits and, and the different manners in which they can be used and employed. And I think I think we've created a very sort of, I, I would say, a fairly unique positioning for ourselves through that specific lens, right? The craft, the blend, and how and why the products themselves were, were created. And then on the other side, uh, I mentioned the contemporary, which is the brand story. I do think, you know, I, I'm one of few, if maybe the only that I'm aware of, who is sort of born and raised in the Caribbean and, and, and sort of in the market as a founder of this brand. And so th there, I think, kind of using this very unique lens that I have as somebody who is from the region and sort of views themselves as a steward of our history and our culture and our heritage, I think that shining through through the stories that the brand tells and the voice that the brand has, I think is also a major, major point of differentiation for us in the, in, in the market today, if that makes sense. Now, there is a much more storied history of blending in rum than probably any other spirit. Mm -hmm. Talk us through a little bit about what you look for in the rums that you include. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. For me, when we thought about creating these blends, so first of all, uh, let's kind of go back to this idea of the pan-Caribbean story, the, the, the very spirit of 10 to 1, it really kind of acknowledging that if you, if, for example, you looked at a Jamaican rum versus Trinidadian rum, they're extremely different, both in terms of like the terroir, right? The nature of the, you know, the Jamaican soil versus Trinidadian soil and terrain. And then also sort of the distillation methods, right? So obviously Jamaica is known for yeah. their pot still, their pot still variants. Trinidad is very much a column still focused. You know, Barbados actually has a bit of the two and, and, and so forth. So when you kind of travel around the region, you can sort of begin to hone in on these different sort of unique traits and unique elements from around the region. But for me, creating the blends, that, that, that was only part of the exercise. Like, let me, let, me, let me kind of go and find the beauty, paint the different corners of rum blending excellence around the region. It also had to do with how I wanted consumers to experience rum. So, so I'll, I'll give you a very specific example. With our dark rum, and again, I'm, I mean, I'm obviously a big rum lover and a big rum nerd, which is how you end up starting this. <laughs> but I wanted something that consumers would enjoy on their on its own. So it needs to be an exceptional right. liquid, right? You can sip it. You can sip it neat on the rocks. We talk a lot about the origin served. Splash of soda water, coconut water, tonic water that really can kind of lengthen your drink in a very clean and refreshing fashion. But but I also wanted something that could elevate, uh, you know, elevate your craft cocktail game. Right. When you asked me to describe our dark rum in a single word, I wanted something that, that was very versatile. Whether you're sipping it neat to creating an old-fashioned, a Manhattan or a Negroni, it really could sort of run that gamut versus being relegated specifically to sipping rum. Now, how did we do that? One of the things that I think is very unique about our aged rum is that it actually includes a little bit of a high ester Jamaican pot still rum as part of that blend. Right. And so on the nose of that dark rum or aged rum, you're going to get a little bit of baking spice, a little bit of cooked fruit. A lot of people will pick out a little bit of sort of like, a, you know, that banana peel that you typically get from the volatiles of a Jamaican rum has a very sort of warm and inviting nose, something that's a little sweetish on the nose, certainly invites you to explore it. And then on the palate, you're going to get some of the barrel aging notes that will express, right? So a bit of cedar, or a little bit of vanilla. Some people will, 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 you know, pick up a little bit of like a, like a leather, a worn leather element to it too. Moderate acidity. And our rum is a little dry on the finish. And, and we do that deliberately to really battle this perception that rum is overly sweet, right? Like, like, like very cloying. Right, it's, yeah. like it's, a, it's a sugar bomb, right? So for us, 
the blend was yes, an exercise in bringing these different islands and bringing them to life and let them express themselves, but it was done with a very clear intention and purpose in mind, right? You end up having this very interesting sort of, I would say, melodic, undulating experience as you sip that dark rum. And that's the kind of thing that invites a lot of bartenders to want to use it in their cocktail programs as well. So that's just going to give you an example of how we thought about that process of building the blend with the dark rum. And and we certainly had a very similar approach for the white rum as well. Like with our white rum, to me, the secret there was, if you look at Jamaican pot still rums again, you know, they're they're known for being big and bold and funky and, and high proof, right? I love Jamaican pot still rums. But they end up feeling pretty inaccessible to a lot of everyday consumers. I guess kind of wherever you are in the world, right? And so we took some of those elements. We married it alongside this Dominican column still rum. And then the the end result has been extraordinary, right? I mean, it's one where you, on the nose, you'll pick up these sort of grassy, herbaceous qualities, a little bit of fresh citrus for sure on the nose. But on the palate, you know, actually the, the rum has great body. It drinks in a very sort of smooth, clean, refreshing fashion stands up extraordinarily well in a cocktail, which is really important, right? Your white rum has to has to crush it and really kind of pass the, the daiquiri test with flying colors and then yes. be extremely vers- versatile in its own right, you know? Now, when you're picking the individual rums to include, what tends to matter more? Where it's from, the distillery that is producing it, how it is produced, its distillation method, or the taste? That's a good question. I think it's, it's hard for me to actually pull those things apart in a sense, because all of those things lead up to the taste, right? I mean, to, to, to me, when I think about the taste, I think less about the individual rums and more about sort of the end product I'm trying to get to, right? So in the same way that I just kind of okay. described the, 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 the profile of the white and the profile of the age. Now, if I sort of, again, reflect on, uh, you know, a Jamaican versus a Trinidadian rum or a Jamaican versus a Bajan rum, you know, there are elements of that. that uh, okay, Trinidad's a great example. Trinidad, if you look at sort of our position in the Caribbean, right off the coast of Venezuela, we share this the same vein of oil and natural gas that Venezuela has. The soil composition of Trinidad is entirely different, right, than what you even find right. 35 minutes north in Barbados and then certainly at the top of the archipelago in Jamaica. So if I'm cutting some fresh cane or if I'm growing vegetables in the soil in Trinidad, you're going to find that they actually express in a very different way, even before you've begun to play with fermentation and distillation and everything else. So the source material definitely has a point of difference for sure. But I think some of those things then obviously get exacerbated by the type of distillation method you use. So in Jamaica, where you are, you know, pot still kind of, you know, runs the roost in many distilleries and you're using a little bit of that dunder in certain cases and you have higher mark um, or higher gradation pot still rums, you're going to bring some more of those, you know, people call it hogo, but more of those grassy herbaceous notes, some more of those volatiles that present. So, so really to me, it is a combination, to, to be honest. It does start with the terroir. It is not just a function of distillation method. And I think understanding and appreciating that, I think is a massive, massive part of how you can successfully create a blend that has a real point of view, right? Not just throwing together a mm. couple of different rums and then seeing and then seeing what works, right? Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Since rum has so many distillation methods and points of terroir as you've been talking about, do you think that's half the reason that people do end up relying on those old-fashioned tropes just simply as a way of trying to define it, that it's almost too big for its own category, so to speak? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think partially yes, but I think it's a problem that can be solved. And here's what I mean by that. I think that that has historically worked to run the disadvantage because there's so much obfuscation and so much hand waving in the category, right? Like people aren't very transparent about whether it's their age statements or like their blends or or, or the, the, the distillates and any of those pieces so that folks walk away feeling very confused and it's sort of like this big soup of, of ambiguity, right? I, you know, here's a really simple example. If you look at the world of spice rum, right, you know, Right. A lot of consumers don't understand that that, that, an, that a barrel-aged rum is dark in color because it's been sitting in a barrel for, you know, 5, 7, 8, 10, 12 years, etc. Why? Because, you know, spiced rum, which is unaged, typically, right, has this right. caramel coloring and stuff added to it so that now they're all confused about what's the difference between dark and white. P- people, by the way, don't have this confusion in whiskey because they understand that it sort of rests in a barrel for some period of time. So yeah. I think there are some things like that that have just created this underlying confusion in, in, in rum. I think we turned it on its head. And this is what 10 to 1 in a lot of ways tries to do and says, no, like the beauty is in the blend. Let me tell you the story about why we created this, what the different rums do, how you bring them to life. You create some more interest and some more appeal in the category, right? There are so many yeah. whiskey nerds. Now you have all the tequila, mezcal, but like the gin botanical crowd who love nerding out on different spirits from different regions and your single malts versus your blends versus your high rise and all of those things. I think if you start like educating consumers on those elements and actually showing them the beauty rather than doing the hand wavy thing that has really kind of plagued rum for a long time, what has become a weakness, and as you said, it, it's led to this very reductive narrative over time, can actually become a major source of strength for the category. Okay. What if the reaction of bartenders bane to your two expressions fantastic to date to, 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 again to, to, to be honest and, and again i'm just grateful for that reaction you know i think the reaction to the to the dark from the age drum versatile is i think again the word that they would most typically reflect um they're always super surprised you know a lot of sipping rums for example you would never actually use them in, a, in an old-fashioned around manhattan both in terms of price point and in terms of what's what what they would bring to the party in terms of like that profile i think our aged rum with some of those barrel aging notes, the cedar and the vanilla and some of that baking spice you kind of get combined really well. For example, in an old-fashioned, our rum old-fashioned is extraordinary. And so I think for them, feeling like they have something on their back bar that you can just pour a sipper of, a little dram of, and or use in your programs is really, really captivating. So if you kind of walk around New York City right, well, not right now, but but outside of the pandemic, but, you would see that, yeah, it's a, it's a little trickier right now. But, you know, in, in normal times, you would see that in a lot of these Michelin star, fine dining, hospitality concepts, that 10 to 1 age rum, dark rum, ends up being the rum of record there. And, and, and as extraordinary as, as the dark rum is, you know, having, you know, just got 97 points, double gold, proof awards, etc. The white rum, I think, is the one that really gets heralded as as a bit of a an, an, a category game changer of sorts you know i think when you when you stand up the white the white rum alongside i mean any other rum white aged or or, or in between it, it it really kind of feels like it's super unique in terms of its 
positioning and its expression. And, and, and you know, if, if I had a dollar for every time I, I got that reaction from someone when doing a tasting, you know, then I'd probably be in, in pretty good shape right now. But but that one, I think, again, the way we've managed to thread this needle and, and bring some of those traditional elements of a Jamaican popsicle rum to life in a way that feel still very captivating for a consumer, but also a bit more accessible, really has been, has yeah. really done the trick. That white rum, won the best rum of 2020 at the LA Spirits Awards. You know, it, it actually beat all unaged and aged rums across the board. And I think you've gotten a lot That's of that impressive. feedback from... Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Has gotten a lot of that feedback from folks on the trade side, wherever we've taken it to date. Considering that they are so versatile, if someone was to buy a bottle for the first time, how would mm-hmm. you want them to first experience it? Yeah, so I like to take you on a little journey, right? And so first and foremost, I want you to I want you to experience the rums on their own. For me, you know, just just understanding that like the spirits are incredible on a standalone basis. So you know, you you could sip the dark rum, meat, you know, the white rum. You know, I'd say you know, drop an ice cube in there with a little lime wedge or grapefruit wedge, and and, and really sort of enjoy it that way. So you can really understand the the, the journey of the nose and the palate and, and and the structure and all of those things. Second thing I want you to do is. I, I, we spend a lot of time educating people on how to mix their rum. For us, you know, right. 10 to 1 is, 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 is not so much about rum and coke. It's actually much more about, that's not really in our consideration set. We focus more on soda water, coconut water, tonic water. You know, in this current environment, people are always looking for sort of like, what's the, what's the cleanest way to drink this? Um, the, the, the rum is still able to express itself effectively. Like, like the rum's delicious, so you don't want to hide it. And each of those... Each of those mixes, I think, allows the rum to express itself. That's actually how you drink rum if you were at home in Trinidad hanging out with me and my family, right? Like, like we call it the orange right. service okay. for a reason, right? Like, like, those are great ways to experience the rum. So that's typically how I would, how I would invite someone to, to, to explore 10 to 1 if they had a bottle on their back bar. And then beyond that, if you want to go create your, your, your first cocktails, I would say rum old-fashioned is your go-to with the, with the dark rum. And then just making an amazing daiquiri, the simplest and most elegant cocktail you can make, right? I think, I, I think most right. many would agree, right? Is a great starting point for, for the white rum. Have bartenders come up with any drinks using your expressions that you didn't expect? Yeah, you know, so we, we, we have this little um, fun saying, right? That uh, uh, anything you can do, rum can do better. And we were really sort right. of leaning into this idea that the, the rum is a category and specifically 10 to 1 rums are, again, extraordinarily versatile, not, not to overuse that word. But you don't really know what the limits of that versatility are until you actually see folks out there kind of in the wild trying different things with the rum and bringing it to life. So for me, you know, even early on, you know, seeing what folks were doing, creating things like, like martini riffs. And Negronis, right? Things that you would you typically kind of draw more parallels to like your gin drinkers or what have you. And seeing 10 to 1 white in this case play really, really well in that little sandbox, I think was a, was an early surprise and an early point of encouragement that we got. A, a lot of times we'll, we'll kind of line up the classics and say, give you an old-fashioned, a Manhattan, a Negroni, a margarita, a daiquiri, and a martini, let's call it. Sort of like your lineup of five or six classics there. And let right. the rum execute any of those really well. I think that's where, but when we saw the breadth, that, that range of riffs and the classics, that to me was probably the most, the most encouraging and early surprise that we got. So theoretically, the rums are not only versatile in terms of how you drink them, but also versatile in that they can be used in 
cocktails you wouldn't normally think to use rum in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's kind of where I get the most joy from seeing people bring it to life. So, of course, you know, create your, you know, create your daiquiri, which is your, which is your ultimate rum classic, your staple, you know, create your, your mojitos and your, you know, you know, your, your old Cubans and things like that. But yeah, I love seeing it come to life in, oh, you know, you love, you know, old fashions and you're a whiskey, you're a whiskey lover. Boom. Let me show you what it looks like with rum. I, I think I think one of the things that we have to do to be successful here, and I, and I mean that both ten to one as a brand and rum in general, is to find mm. ways to build to build bridges to consumers in other categories. So I need to be able to invite you in to ex- explore my product. If you are a a bourbon or a rye whiskey lover, if you are you know more of an agave spirit drinker, we know that the whole tequila mezcal thing is deeply rooted at the moment. If you're a gin sort of botanical oriented consumer, how can I build bridges that kind of get you curious and can develop some of your passion for the product? Is where we spend a lot of time on our education and on our consumer engagement. Now, aside from your two main expressions, you've also mm-hmm. recently released a 17-year-old uh, single cask reserve rum. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. You know, I think, so in our view, we have our two, our two core expressions, the dark and the white, which the, those are, the, those are the, going to be the pillars of the brand you know, forever and ever, let's call it. Yeah. But we love the idea of bringing new news to market as often as we can. Because again, remember, one of the core elements of the 10 to 1 mission is we're trying to elevate the category, right? We're trying to shine a light on new, unique expressions and get consumers excited about the space again. And so to me, bringing out these, these reserves, these, these limited editions, these collabs on some sort of a rhythm, maybe we do a couple of these a year, actually, I think is a very core part of our strategy. And so, you know, launching the 17-year reserve, the single cask reserve, is the first foray into that into that space. So that, as the name implies, it's a it's a 17-year rum from Trinidad, four single casks that that have been individually bottled, right? So you can actually even taste the difference between cask two and cask four, for example, which we have a lot of okay. folks doing at the at the moment, and really get to experience you know rum in a very different setting. I think if you were tasting that rum, I think that the notes people pick up most often, you know, a, a lot of like sort of papaya notes, a, a lot of people call it apricot or apricot very quickly. Some stone fruit is a part. It's a very sort of like intensely melodic and unique sipping experience. Pretty, pretty unlike anything that you likely to have had in the rum category prior. So yes, very excited about what we've, what we've done there with that, with that reserve. Now, I assume that you're treating the reserve in a similar way to a single malt. It really shouldn't be used in cocktails. It should only be sipped or... Yeah, that's, I, I, think, I think that that's largely right. You know, I mean, again, I, I try to not be too, um, what's the word, uh, uh, dictatorial about how people use it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's such an amazing, elegant rum that, yes, I, I, I would strongly recommend sipping it, right? I mean, I, I, for example, I'm typically, I'm more of a rocks guy than a neat guy myself. But this rum is so exquisite that, that I just going to sip it neat, you know, all the time. Not to, not to say that's the right way to do it, but yes, you're going to find a lot of joy in that in that lane in the same way that you would with a single malt. That's a, that's, a, that's a good comparison. Now, if consumers take away one thing from their experience with 10 to 1, what would you like that to be? If they take away one thing, uh, and maybe this is the thing that, that encapsulates everything that we're, that we're doing and that we've talked about, it would be, it would be, this, be this idea of rum reimagined. 
we talk about run reimagined a ton. I'm trying to take everything that you think you know as a consumer of uh, you know about rum and turn it on its head, right? From the elevation of the liquid to the blending story to to the genesis of the name and the way that we're positioning the brand, all of those things. You know, I hope that it's the kind of thing that you would take to one of your friends and say. Yo, like these guys have really, I mean, like, like I used to think that rum was X, but now I think it's Y, right? They, they've completely shifted right. my perception of, of the space. And, and they, they really are, in a word, sort of rum reimagined in a nutshell. That is what I would hope that consumers would take away when they, when they experience 10 to 1 for the first time and when they, when they take it sort of further afield to their friends. Well, in that case, where is it available? What markets is, is 10 to 1 in at the moment? Where can they buy it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most importantly, right, we need folks to try it. So, you know, we're, we're available in the, in the in the U.S., of course, uh, at, at the moment. Uh, we actually launched in, in New York in June of 2019. We're just in one market for, for almost a year. I can kind of really create the case study of success in one market. We've since launched in, in Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida and now DC. So really kind of moving up and down the, the, the East Coast and hopefully California will come online later this year. We will see how things sort of um sort of mitigate with, with COVID. But really for anyone who's in the US at the moment, we, we've we've spun up a really great e-commerce footprint as well. And so if folks went to shop 10 to 1, like it's spelled out S-H-O-P-T-E-N-T-O-O-N-E, shop10to1.com, you can actually grab any of the three expressions that we have on there as well regardless of where you are in the U.S. So that's a path for folks who right. maybe aren't in those, in those markets I named who want to grab the product sooner rather than later. And what about other international markets? Are you thinking about Asia and the U.K.? And Yeah, 100%. You know, my, my, my hope and my dream is that sort of it's, uh, you know, you want it to have a global footprint and a global impact sooner rather than later. We actually were planning to launch in the U.K., at the end of 2020, that, that that was our plan at the start of the year. Of course, I actually landed in New York on March 7th from London. I had a great trip out there with a bunch of meetings and a bunch of tastings. So unfortunately, London couldn't happen last year because of COVID and probably won't happen this year either. But hopefully end of 21, early 22, we'll do the UK. We've gotten lots of calls from, from folks in Asia who are looking for ways to kind of bring this to the market there also. So yeah, I would imagine hopefully sometime next year, we'll see it making its way further afield also. Now, if people want more information on 10 to 1, they can, of course, go to your website, which is 10to1rum.com, or alternatively find you through your social. Exactly. And our Instagram handle is also the same, at 10to1rum. Feel free to drop us, you know, a message in the DMs. We're happy to, you know, whether it's cocktail tips and recommendations or thoughts on how to drink it or where to find it, you know, or just even sharing a little bit of love. We always, we're always happy to hear from folks. So those would be, those would be the best ways. That's great. All right. Well, look, thank you, Mark, for joining us. Oh, it's been, been, a, been a pleasure, Tiff. Thanks so much for having me. I pre- appreciate the questions and appreciate the chance to share a little bit about the brand. Excellent. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailsdistill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.